This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is card number 77, Tom O'Malley, third baseman for the Texas Rangers. Okay, Tom O'Malley and the important number 77 we will get to in just a moment. But first, we have some follow-up from previous episodes. And right off the top, a correction and an apology from me on the pronunciation of the town of Dunedin, Florida, which I said as Dunedin. My parents lived on the Gulf Coast for several years and still live in Florida. When I would go to visit them, we went through Dunedin on the way to see some manatees. And I heard the name pronounced multiple ways and just totally forgot and didn't look up how it was pronounced. So I didn't know if it was Dunedin, 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 Dunedin. When you have three different vowels with single consonants all in like alternating like this, there's lots of different ways it can go. The name Dunedin comes from Dunedin, the Scottish Gaelic name for Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland. But Matt, I liked your pronunciation because it did sound like a place where dwarves live in Lord (laughs) of the Rings. And it also, the name reminds me of the Dunedain, which I probably pronounced wrong, the race of men in the Lord of the Rings. So I knew that there was some kind of Middle Earth connection here. I prefer your pronunciation rather than one that sounds like Dunedain. Also, just looking like Dune and sounding like Dune, maybe in the sci-fi series, and now again, motion picture Dune, there could be something there. Yeah, Dune it in the capital of the planet Arrakis. Exactly. You can imagine a scene where, you know, you're watching the movie at home and you lean in to whisper to your partner as Dunedin appears on the screen. That's Dunedin. Sandworms live there. So if you spot any other inaccuracies, statements of misfact, or blatant errors, please contact us. You can email us at 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. And now we're on to today's card and Tom O'Malley. And why are we talking about Tom today? This card was a request, but this was a different kind of request. Normally, we get requests that are somebody's favorite player or what's that guy's deal. This was from listener, friend of the pod, Mick. Mick and his son made the background art on our Twitter and Facebook page. They opened a bunch of packs of 1988 tops, shared some pictures, and then they made a new background for us out of the gum, not chewed. (laughs) Mick is a Giants fan and from the Bay Area and Tom O'Malley played for the Giants, but Mick didn't request Tom for that reason. He barely remembered Tom's playing time in San Francisco. But Mick's favorite band from the 80s is the 77s. And so he looked for card 77 and said, why don't you talk about Tom O'Malley? And as we are going to try to cover every card, we will take even the most tangential, self-serving to get us to talk about your favorite band suggestion. And this did introduce me to the 77s. Matt, were you aware of this band? No, I had not heard of them. And this is not the old 97s, nor the British pop rock band, the 1975, or the Taiwanese band, 1976. Also different from 77, a Spanish Catalan hard rock band 
and has nothing to do with Death From Above 1979, the dance punk band. Unclear where the name comes from, either a reference to 77s in multiple places in the Bible or a reference to 1977, um, Matt's birth year. That could be. I will take the guess that it is a biblical reference of 70 plus 7, the number of times you're supposed to apologize for mispronouncing a town name in Florida. Is it 70 plus 7 or 70 times 7? Because I think it might be 490. It could be. Which is the number of times that you are supposed to apologize to Florida. I'll have to go back to the Greek on that one, David, and we'll have to follow up in a future episode. But the band has never clarified whether this is a reference to to those biblical passages or a reference to 1977 and the great music that came out in 1977. Records like Rumors, Asia, David Bowie's Low, Marquee Moon, Talking Heads 77. Maybe it's just a reference to Talking Heads 77. Mm. Never mind the Bullocks. Funk and Teleki versus the Placebo Syndrome by Parliament Funkadelic. 1977 was the peak of vinyl sales in the United States, and it has been in decline ever since with a, a slight tail up recently, perhaps just a reference to a great year in music. The band was formed in 1979 in Sacramento. I listened to a few of their records. Their first record was uh, Ping Pong Over the Abyss, and it had some different styles, a, a little bit of Elvis Costello sound to it, a little bit of the cars, but wasn't really distinct distinctively their own style. It, it seemed a little bit like it was kind of picking and choosing from other genres. By 1987, however, they had kind of come into their own, signed a major label deal with Island Records and recorded a self-titled record. And it was expected to launch this band into stardom. And Mick actually suggested that one of his favorite songs was called Do It For Love. Matt, you and I both listened to that song. I thought it was a strong start to this record. As a big karaoke fan, I like choruses that have oh, 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 subverbal kind of tones that the crowd can sing along to. So there's a lot that I appreciated about this tune. Yeah, and especially having listened to some of the earlier stuff that sound a little bit derivative, this record, I listened to most of this record and then I think another that came out in 1990 and thought that they had at least their own distinct style that was slightly different. It was good music and something that I hadn't really listened to before. While there wasn't something that jumped out at me as a, this should have been a huge radio hit, I do think they probably should have gotten noticed more. It seems like a pretty good band. The label that they were on, however, that same year had U2 who were releasing Joshua Tree. And so they put all of their efforts into promoting Joshua Tree and didn't really promote the 77s and their self-titled record. And then shortly after, because of that lack of promotion, they were dumped due to poor sales. They continued on in some form, had a live album in 1988 called 88, and then recorded Sticks and Stones, which was another record I listened to that had some good kind of jangly pop jams. But underlying all of this is that they were a Christian band. Maybe not quite overtly Christian as some other 
contemporary Christian artists. And Larry Norman, who's one of the pioneers of Christian rock, said that the 77s were too Christian for the radio and too radio for the church. I'll admit that if I hadn't known from reading their Wikipedia that they were a Christian rock band, it just it doesn't really sound like a contemporary Christian music as I know it from driving around with my dad listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The sound itself doesn't have some of the kind of stereotypical tropes of other Christian bands. And the lyrics, you know, compared to you too, certainly not that far off in being explicitly religious or anything else like that. I actually maybe disagree with Larry Dorman's assessment there. Like I didn't I didn't really find it too Christian for the radio. It just wasn't poppy enough for the radio, I think. It was maybe like a little bit too smart for the radio. Like you might hear on a college rock station, then on a top 40 radio station. Yes, definitely some. And in the early stuff, there was some more like Tom Petty influence. It was just kind of like a little bit all over the place with their in their influences. But I don't know. I enjoyed the what I listened to. And um, I don't know that I would have otherwise listened to this music. So thanks, Mick, for introducing me to that. I, I enjoyed it. I've covered the dynamics of 1980s radio business in my other podcast, Plugola and Playola. And really, there's it was so dominated by genres and formula that it was very difficult for bands to to cross over. And you would definitely see record labels putting all of their bribery cash into the top performer that they had, leaving the rest of their acts to the wolves. So perhaps the 77s, uh, a victim of that. But yeah, thank you very much, Mick, for sending in the suggestion and giving us something new to listen to this week. But now let's go to the front of card 77 and the very fortunately numbered Tom O'Malley, who we see here as a left-handed batter, having just put one into play on the right side. And I don't know if it's just the funniest, if it's the funniest ground ball he's ever hit, or if he's taking delight of... A line drive. I don't know what's going on in this card, David, but Tom looks very excited about what he just did. This is a familiar pose for those of us who've looked at all of the Rangers 1988 Tops cards. Whoever shot these Rangers cards liked this viewpoint, similar to Bouchelle and Inky, Gino Petrali, all had a similar uh, similar stance. Or it was all from a similar vantage point and we'll see it more with Bob Brower and Curtis Wilkerson. If you flip through the 88 Rangers set, but that is a good smile. He looks delighted with his performance there. And Tom was a professional hitter. So he he knew a a good hit when he saw one, he's got those Franklin gloves on the away Rangers uniform, extremely boring, just gray top and bottom no pinstripes, no nothing, black stirrups over white socks. I'd say pretty average look. Now let's go to the back of 77, and we have Tom O'Malley, third baseman, six feet, 190, left-handed batter and right-handed thrower, drafted by the Giants in the 16th round of 1979, born December 25th on Christmas 1960 in Orange, New Jersey, with a home in Montoursville, Pennsylvania. This is our first Christmas-born card i think we'll have another at least i think ricky henderson was born on christmas so we'll have at least one more christmas birthday also jesus and jimmy and jimmy buffett (laughs) the two big j's tom's dad also named tom his mom was lois tom had three siblings he said he picked up a wiffle ball bat at age two 
and his dad would help coach him throughout his youth, including year-round training sessions. His dad would get orange baseballs to use when it snowed in Pennsylvania. He was born in Orange, New Jersey, but grew up in Montoursville, Pennsylvania. Montoursville is a city of about 5,000 people just a few miles from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, home of the Little League World Series. In 1996, Montoursville lost 16 students and five chaperones who were on TWA Flight 800, which exploded and crashed in the Atlantic Ocean. The students were on an exchange trip to France when this tragedy occurred. Other famous Montoursvillians include Mike Mussina, pretty good pitcher, Dick Barrett, who was a pitcher as well, went to the University of Illinois and then played for multiple MLB teams in the 30s and 40s and had a pretty good nickname, Cupy Dick, <laughs> and Mary Jane Watson, who was a pretty good Spider-Man love interest. At Montoursville High, Tom had a 658 batting average as a senior, and that caught the attention of some major league scouts. The Giants used the 409th pick in the 1979 draft on Tom O'Malley. The first round of that draft had Andy Van Slyke, Tim Wallach, Steve Bouchelle, Scott Gereltz. 16th round, they didn't necessarily view Tom as a top prospect, but he would go on to have a, a long career. And he starts at Rookie League, Great Falls. 244 average, not much power, one homer. His on-base percentage was 100 points higher than his average, though, so that's pretty good. And in 42 games, he played some second base, short, third base, outfield. He was a rookie trying to find where on the field he was going to fit in the best. And he got promoted to A-ball in Fresno and became the club's full-time third baseman. Good at the plate, hitting 287, three homers, nine triples, and 74 RBIs. Got bumped up to double-A Shreveport at age 20. Still hitting well, 289, six home runs, six triples, 53 RBIs. So being bumped station to station and comes into spring 1982. The Giants are coming off a 500 strike shortened season managed by Frank Robinson. They have Daryl Evans at third base, but he's getting up there in age into his mid thirties, still has good pop in his bat. Tom had moved up the ranks quickly and the Giants at this point, after a couple of years, consider him a legit third base prospect, even though maybe he wasn't a number one pick. So in 1982, he ends up at AAA Phoenix, and in the first month, he showed the Giants that he was ready for the big leagues. Through 26 games, he hit 448. He had an on-base percentage over 500. And we can look at this 1982 Phoenix Giants Valley National Bank card and see Tom in, in this beautiful Phoenix Giants uniform. This uniform is quite a sight to behold. It's a pinstripe jersey that also looks like it has a t-shirt on top of it. White and orange pinstripe pants and a hat that looks like the the Pirates hat, but in orange and black with a P for Phoenix on it. And Tom has a real cheeseball grin in this photo. He looks like his body kind of looks like a cartoon character. I think it was ancient art, maybe the ancient Egyptians who they would draw the people, their legs would be going sideways but the top halves of their bodies would be facing the drawer f straight on. This pose doesn't look physically possible, David. Yes, it looks like he's going to pull a muscle. Weird uniform style. It's almost like an abstract art, that giant's top. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on, a lot of different lines. And on the Beckett site, this this card costs a buck forty-two. So I dare say one of the more expensive 
cards from the 1982 minor league baseball card world. One of the more expensive Tom O'Malley cards. Mm, certainly. From that picture, we can see what AAA coach Rocky Bridges thought of Tom as well. He said, if Tom O'Malley can't make it in baseball, Walt Disney Studios could use him in a movie as Huck Finn. He does have a good Huck Finn look. He certainly does. And so with that great smile, they knew he was major league ready. And on May 8th, he gets a start at third base. Daryl Evans gets to play first base. And in his second at-bat for the Giants, Tom got a single off the Mets' Mike Scott. He added two walks, and the Giants won 8-3. to He played 92 games that first season, the first line on this card. And he played well. He hit 275, most of the time as a hitter in the 7 or 8 hole. He had a 15-game hitting streak that rookie year from late July to early August. Made a lot of contact, walked almost as much as he struck out. Not a lot of power, two home runs, four triples, and an OPS plus of 102, which is a very good season for the ninth youngest player in baseball. He was only 21 years old, just three years out of high school. The Giants finished that year with 87 wins, third place in the National League West. So a great first year for a, for a decent team. So going to his 1983 Don Russ card, it says he emerged as one of the National League's top rookies in 1982. The Giants' third baseman for 83 and many years after. Wow. <laughs> Big things coming <laughs> for Tom O'Malley. This actually would end up being the most he played in any major league season in his second season. He played 135 games, showed a little bit more pop, five home runs, ended up being his career high in major league baseball, hit 259, again, walked more than he struck out. His OPS plus, a little bit below average, 94. But the Giants dropped below 500. Tom was fine at third base. He was still pretty young. But then he starts bouncing around a little bit. Going into the 1984 season, the Giants decide that Joel Youngblood should take over at third base. Tom starts at AAA. Something that we're going to keep coming back to. Tom shows up on a team, gets sent to AAA, hits over 300, gets called up. Gets sent back down, hits over 300. It, it's a it's a up and down experience for Tom. A fantastic AAA player. He hits 346 in 1984 at AAA. Called up a little bit in May, hits 120, and then in late August he's traded to the White Sox for two players to be named later, who would be Mike Trujillo and Pat Adams. Trujillo would later be traded for Ray Quinones. So Tom goes to the White Sox, hits 125 in 12 games, gets released before the 85 season starts, signs on with the Tigers in April of 1985 and was assigned to AAA, and then a month later is traded to the Orioles. Combined between the two AAA teams for the Tigers and the Orioles, he hit 11 home runs and had a 303 average. And we also get a fun fact that Tom led International League third baseman with 90 putouts in 1985, which is a really strange fun fact. Is that a stat to be proud of? You happen to catch more infield pop flies than, than anyone else? I, I, and I assume that he would have led the Pacific League in hitting the year prior with a 346 average. It's It's a weird thing to pull out a defensive stat from three years prior on this card but he had a lot of minor league stats most of them hitting we see on the card a couple straight seasons of 100s or below 
And he spent eight games in 1985 in Baltimore hitting 071. He went one for 14. That one hit was a home run. 1986, more of the same at AAA, hits over 300, has a summer call-up. He's okay for 56 games, but hits 254 with only one home run. I think a lot of teams are looking for a little bit more power from their third baseman. By this point, teams know what kind of guy Tom is. He can hit for average at AAA, some power at AAA that doesn't really translate to the major league level, and he didn't have much speed. He's basically a quad A player, bouncing back and forth and becomes a free agent after 1986. And that takes us to the This Way to the Clubhouse that Tom signed as a free agent with the Texas Rangers December 3rd, 1986 and began season at Oklahoma City. As we would expect, he starts at AAA, true to form, hits 311 with 12 homers, earns a call-up to the majors in August, and has a decent average in 1987 in Texas, 274, an OPS plus of 92. Spends most of 1988 at AAA as well, hitting 291. And then in September, the Rangers trade Tom to Montreal for Jack Doherty, another kind of regular 300-hitting AAA player, I guess these teams figuring, hey, maybe your guy will work out for me. Maybe my guy will work out for you. Tom plays a little bit in Montreal, 259 in 14 games. March of 1989, he gets traded with catcher Mark Bailey for a AAA reliever named Steve Fry. Steve Fry would have an eight-year major league career, and Tom ends up on the Mets. He didn't have much of a major league career left, but he made the most of his time in the Mets organization. He started at Tidewater, hits 295 with 15 home runs, 84 RBIs, and he wins the International League MVP award and earns a September call-up. Plays in only nine games, but he went six for 11 with eight RBIs for a 546 average. And since 1980, only 12 players with more than 10 at-bats have had a batting average over 500. So pretty good short stint there. Eight RBIs in nine games is pretty good. That short stay in New York and his AAA performance earns him a spot on the team to start 1990. He's often used as a pinch hitter or backup third baseman to Howard Johnson. He never really got regular playing time to get into a groove as he had in the minors. So he hits 223 and 121 at-bats. He did have a notable moment, though. Yeah, June 5th, 1990, the day before his manager, Bud Harrelson's birthday. And let's just give the mic to Bud. And my birthday's June 6th, and uh, Tom had been struggling uh, for us as a pinch hitter. And I said I would give all my presents back the next day if Tom O'Malley would just hit a home run. And a towering fly ball deep to center. Back, back, Martinez, warning track, reaching out. a birthday wish that came true and I thought that that was the catalyst that got us going in June. So he gives a, a good birthday present to Bud Harrelson gets the walk-off home run the Mets are 22 and 26 at this point while Tom and the Mets improved after that point Tom had been hitting 130 and ends up at 223 the Mets end up winning 91 games but they finish second Tom raises his average 90 points but his future doesn't really lay here in New York. During the 1990 season, he got the idea that he might be able to play in Japan. And after playing for six different major league organizations in the past nine years, 
Tom thought that he could succeed if he went to the NPB. So after the season, Tom's contract was purchased by the Hanshin Tigers. The Hanshin Tigers, former home of Colonel Sanders lookalike Randy Bass. Their mascot, as we like to talk about mascots, their mascot is named Tolucky, a very cute tiger. Tom O'Malley came into this Hanshin Tigers team with a 48-82 and 82 record in the first year. But Tom was great. In his four seasons, he becomes a Hanshin Tigers fan favorite. He hit a grand slam in his second exhibition game, continues to hit for a high average as he had in AAA, 307, 326, 330, and 314 over those four years. He hits a lot of home runs as well, also something we sort of started to see in AAA. He hit 74 home runs over four seasons. His second season, he won a Golden Glove at third base. And yes, it is called a Golden Glove, not a Gold Glove. I think I mistakenly called it a Golden Glove in a previous episode, and somebody corrected me for it. The Hunchin Tigers gets better after that first season, finishing second in the pennant race once, but never really making a run at a title. But the fans really liked Tom because he leaned into life in Japan. And he was good. He wins a batting title in 1993. He makes the All-Star team in 93 and 94, winning the All-Star MVP in 93. After winning that All-Star game MVP, in his hero interview, he proclaims, Hanshin fans are the best. So he picks up some Japanese, and he even learned the Hanshin Tigers fight song, Roko Oroshi. And we have a recording of that with verses by Tom in Japanese and English. Let's listen. Yeah, this is a good effort by Tom. It's tough to sing. The chorus is, oh, 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 Hanshin Tigers. Your kind of chorus. Tom really endeared himself to the fans by learning the song, recording it somewhat professionally. Singing is a work in progress. Yeah, and this fight song probably is this better than Go Go Astros in the pantheon of baseball fight songs. <laughs> better than Go Cubs Go. So despite having four great seasons becoming a fan favorite. Tom's not really slowing down, but the Tigers are looking for even more power from their first baseman. Tom had, had switched over to first base uh, later in his Hanshin Tigers career. They end up signing former Astro Glenn Davis, who ends up hitting 23 home runs in 1995. Tom, as a free agent in Japan, is a hot commodity sought by the Oryx Blue Wave, but ends up signing with the Yakult Swallows. And this team plays in Tokyo and is owned by the Yakult Corporation, who make a probiotic milk beverage. Mm. Mm -mm. Currently, they are managed by former White Sox closer Shingo Takatsu. They have uh, Munataka Murakami, who at 22 years old just hit 56 home runs, broke Sadaharu O's record for home runs by a Japanese player. And the Swallows are looking to repeat as MPB champions this year. They just swept the Hanshin Tigers this week to win the Central and are in the Japan series, currently awaiting an opponent from the Pacific League. And Matt, can we talk about their mascot? Yes, absolutely. We're, we're talking about Subakuro, right? Yes. Subakuro is a 
well-scaled sized sparrow. What I really like is that he is going to black bird, you know, black top, black wings, and then white bottom wearing the baseball helmet. And in this, this video that we will show that we found on Twitter, he is doing battle with Fukuoko SoftBank Hawks mascot Fusan. Fusan being a very strangely shaped kind of giant human baseball figure. Kind of looks like a light bulb, like shaped like a light bulb. Very creepy. Yes. Very creepy, fake looking face. Subakuro does not like the look of this guy. And Subakuro also has running feuds with the Oryx Buffalo's mascot, Buffalo Bull and Buffalo Bell. So he is not to be trifled with. Mm-mm. No, you can see him really kind of kicking the crap out of this guy. <laughs> he he <laughs> Poor punched him in the on. head. He kicked him in the head. Kicked, punched and kicked him and kicked him right in the head. So yeah, good job. I, I like uh, Subakuro very much. Another fun thing about Subakuro, you know, he cannot be held down by a team. He has declared free agency in the past, and he's represented <laughs> in negotiations by Duala, who's the mascot of the Chunichi Dragons. And in 2021, <laughs> his new deal gave him an annual salary of 50,000 yen and all-you-can-drink Yakult. So he is getting so much probiotics. He's very regular. <laughs> 50,000 yen is $335. For a mascot, it's really not that bad. And if you have all that you can drink... Uh, probiotics, then yeah, all of got, your you're going to have so much protein. Of. You're going to be regular. What I want to know is how the fans of the Chunichi Dragons feel that their mascot is a baseball agent, <laughs> not a dragon. And in the picture, I saw he was wearing a suit. He's a he's a. <laughs> <laughs> is he uh, a dragon? No, is he a dragon. He's agent? a koala. What the heck? Dawala, the mascot of the Chinichi Dragons, is a oh yeah, he's a he's a koala businessman. <clears throat> he, or he's a business. Uh, I'm sorry, he's a business koala. They're friends uh, on mascots.fandom.com. He's he is also friends with Tokyo Yakult Swallows mascot Subakuru. Mm-hmm. He injured mm-hmm. Dawala mid, injured his middle finger during training and was not able to do backflips for almost a month in 2013. This is terrible news. He's the Scott Boris of mascot agents. So getting back to getting back to Tom O'Malley after signing with Yakult, unclear how much of the probiotic drink he had as part of his contract, but he was awesome. This is 1995. He hit 302, 31 home runs and 87 RBIs. Just dominating an OPS of of a thousand. And you know, look at what happened. Hanshin Tigers drop him to get more power, and Tom basically had a career year to rub it in their face. He wins the MVP of the Central League. The Swallows win the Central League title. They go to the Nippon series and they win the whole thing in five games. Tom in that series hits 529 with 667 on base and a slugging percentage of 941 insane two homers four runs and four RBIs and seven walks he was the MVP of the Japan series following year 1996 follows it up with a 315 average 18 homers and 97 driven in so that is six straight years batting over 300 that was a record for a foreign player at the time an excellent turn as a Japanese star And after that season, he's about to turn 36. His defense and speed were declining. He never really had much speed to begin with. He could still hit for a high average, but he couldn't reach a contract agreement with the team. 
so he decides to end his time in Japan. He tries out for the Rangers, but didn't make the team out of spring training. He didn't want to play in the minors. He had done that game before, so he decides to retire. So closing the book on Tom O'Malley, nine seasons in the major leagues, 466 games, and a two fifty six average with 13 homers and 131 RBIs, seven seasons in AAA with a three twelve average, six seasons in Japan with a three fifteen average and 123 home runs. He was the International League MVP, the NPB Central League MVP, and a Japan Series MVP. How about in retirement? He decided not to go into a singing career. He instead coached the Newark Bears in the Independent League from 1998 to 2001. He was then approached by the Hanshin Tigers to be a hitting coach in 2002. He spends a couple years in Japan, returns to the U.S. to scout players in the minors for Hanshin, and he served in that position until 2009. Tom always had a home in Montoursville, and he returned there in 2013 to coach the Loyal Sock High School softball team. After a year, he was asked to come back to Hanshin as a hitting coach again. He served in that role for three more seasons, returning home in 2016 when his father had declining health. So Tom comes home, helps care for his father who passed away in 2018. And while he was back in Pennsylvania, he returned to Loyal Sock and he became a successful softball coach. His teams hit really well, as we would expect from Tom O'Malley, could show somebody how to make contact. In 2018, the team hit a collective 421. They won multiple conference championships, and Tom was hired by South Williamsport High in 2019, and he remains the coach of that softball team as of 2022. So here's a guy I certainly had never heard of, who most of his career he played in AAA and in Japan. But now that we've looked at him a little bit more, what do we think about him? I think Mick just asked us to talk about this guy so that we would talk about his favorite band, and that was fun. But we also then found an MVP and a really great hitter who just didn't quite catch on and wasn't the right player for a team at the right time. Perhaps his lack of power when he was younger made him not an attractive choice for a third base option. You don't necessarily need a contact hitter in that spot. But there's something really admirable about the way that he was able to succeed at so many different AAA spots that he would just walk in. And you knew that you would put him in the lineup and he'd hit 300. And there's also something intriguing about a guy who chooses to go to Japan in the 80s and 90s, back when it was maybe more of an adventure and more difficult to stay in touch with your folks back home and with, with your friends and family back in the States. Tom went in 1991. He's 30 years old. And he was great, even better than he was at AAA. He was always a great hitter, and he just needed a chance to get in a rhythm. And as he got older, he developed that power and really just got into that six-year rhythm in Japan. And not only did that keep him employed, it gave him some stability, and it gave him connections for life that he then used for the next 20 years in coaching. Those connections and that connection to Hanshin made him a fan favorite, even when he returned as a coach. But Tom always had another connection back to Montoursville. It's his home on the card, and it remains his home 34 years later after world travel and a successful career. It's admirable that he came back home from a successful career abroad to help his dad out, and it turned out that he found a new calling as a very good softball coach, and he's passing on the wisdom that he learned of those years of hitting all over the world to young ladies in Montoursville. Kind of a funny-looking front of the card and a random number suggested by a fan, but 
Really great story. So thank you, David. Thank you again to Mick for the suggestion. We love requests, so send them to us anytime. Or if you have a koala bear for an agent, have him reach out to us on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.